This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello everyone, welcome back to More Than Amuse. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani, and thanks everyone for being here. I think we have a couple of new listeners, so happy to have you here, and um, hope that you'll take some time to check out some of our past episodes as well. Absolutely. Um, Before we begin, I I should reference that my voice, I don't really know how bad it actually sounds, but it doesn't sound completely like this. I had a sinus infection this weekend, and I'm feeling great now. Back to normal, but the voice is less than. So I was thinking, I was like, it's funny that like a couple weeks ago with the sour episode, I had been previously sedated that day, and then now today my voice is not working, and I'm like, (laughs) wow, it's just been a really great couple weeks for me to be a podcaster. (laughs) Like everyone's worried about Sadie now. Like I know they're like, uh, she kind of sounds weird and different on every single (laughs) episode. Like what is going on? No, no. And thank goodness that today's Stani is presenting the artist because you'll hear as we progress. I think it's gonna start going out. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna it'll provide additional entertainment to this week's episode. Also, another thing I want to mention that Stani had just made me aware of before I started recording. So. A couple months ago at this point, I did an episode on an artist, and I might have been saying her name wrong the entire time. Hey, both of us. It was not just you. But I I was presenting on the artist, so maybe I had greater responsibility to, um, to, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to YouTube it right now, and we're going to see, we're going to make someone say the name Tamara Delimpica. Or perhaps it's Tamara Delempica. I think or it's Tamara. Tamara Delempica. No, but we'll lovely. see. Okay, I wasn't gonna... like calling Sadie out. By the way, I asked Google no. how to spell it, and it like th- totally threw some shade at me and was like, "You stupid American! This is how it's said." So Google could be wrong, but I mean, I would like to think that Google is probably more correct than me. <laughs> That's true. Okay, Tamara Delempica. Tamara. Tamara. Okay, so maybe I was just doing the emphasis on her word. Instead of Tamara, it's Tamara. Okay. Tamara. Okay. But it is De Lampica? I think so. But of course, the person who's saying it is like De Lampica. It like has that. Oh. Because I don't remember. I think she's Polish. So it's just not an American English sounding name. So I feel yeah. like the American English equivalent would be limpica that makes sense so it's tamara versus tamara and i was so confidently 
Tamara to That's okay. It's totally fine. I was fine. <laughs> really Americanizing this woman's name. So forgive me and we're moving on. <laughs> it's totally fine. But that but, just goes yeah. to show if, if we ever get anything wrong, please do not hesitate to say, hey, I know you're all gung-ho about celebrating women in the arts, but um, you said her name wrong. <laughs> And we will say once again, we are not experts at any of this. <laughs> We're just really passionate about women in the arts. We're That's trying all. our best with our... And we are doing what we can. Yeah. And speaking of that, today's artist, actually, like, I thought I knew how to say her name, but I don't. And I had to look up the pronunciation for hers, too. And now I've learned the lesson that no matter what, I am checking. Because even yeah. if I'm confident, unless I know with... 100% certainty. Like Julie Andrews, mm, I didn't have to check. Yeah. But no, that one was easy. <laughs> Everyone else, we're just double checking. Oh, yeah. From here on out. Because especially if they're from a different country, then I'm not even going to try and <laughs> pretend that we're I not going to botch anyone else's names. Here's our beg of forgiveness to all of you wonderful listeners. But Anyways. in the meantime, if you yes. want to go listen to that episode on Tamara. Yes. De Lempica? Definitely do. I think the subtitle is The Lady with the Green Bugatti, which hopefully yeah. we're saying Bugatti, right? <laughs> At this point, who knows? <laughs> but it's really great. She's a wonderful like art deco artist. Um, oh, yeah. She's fun. now one of my favorites, and yeah. I discovered her so randomly. That's one of my favorite episodes, just because mm-hmm. I think she has the craziest story ever. Yeah, it's really cool. And yeah. So go check yeah. that out. So plug for a previous episode. <laughs> yeah. And just roll your eyes every time you hear us say your name wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because now you know better. Take a shot every time I say her name wrong and you'll be very yeah, drunk seriously. by the end of the episode. I am sure. Constant well, improvement, folks. That's what we're focused on. It's okay to make mistakes on. as long as we correct ourselves and try harder the next time. And Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of finding people in surprising ways, like... This is another one that I found randomly, and it just floored me. Yeah, so, I was so excited to hear about who we're doing today. <laughs> yeah. This is, like, the craziest thing. So last night, I'm like, oh, I've got an artist that I have to do today. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, kind of debating if I was going to do, like, the textile artist from the Bajas. But then I was like, Yeah, no. that's what I wondered. Yeah, so I was like, I kind of want to just focus on one person. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm actually going to film like a little video for Instagram TV about some of the artists from the Bajas and just talk about them really briefly. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So I'm saying that here. So I hold myself accountable. So go watch it because it will be up because I'm promising you all now that I'm actually going to do it. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about like three or four of them on there like briefly and then um, dive into this person instead in a full fledged thing. But she ties in really nicely, which is kind of cool. Um, But literally all I did is I got on Pinterest and I typed in female artist because I was like, I don't know, something will come up, you know, like it'll give me some ideas. And I ran into this pin that was like the crazy story of, okay, let me make sure I say her name right, Sonia Delaney. And I was like, okay. So I like clicked on this blog post and it's just run by like, oh, it's like a accessories store. But they have, like, a female study section that's written in first person. I don't know who the author was. I was trying to find the name, and I couldn't find a good spot for it. Well, there we go. Courtney Bogtazo. Cool. But it was written in 2019, and she basically dives into, like, 
how she was touring a museum in Toronto, and there was a ton of art by this female artist that she had kind of heard of, but, like, not really. And then Mm -hmm. she ended up studying her more. And as I read through this, like, brief synopsis, I was like, holy crap, she was actually famous during her lifetime. Why don't we know anything about her? (laughs) Man, okay. (laughs) Which happens so often, but, like, the level of accomplishments that she reached, I just don't understand. And I'm going to go into a little bit about, like, why I think she's overlooked. And they're all very stupid reasons, obviously. But I think there's a few, like, key things that happened that made it so that they completely ignore her, which Mm -hmm. drives me nuts, obviously, which is why we have a podcast. But she was not only a painter, she also um, was a fashion designer, um, Mm. a fabric, like, textile designer, too, which ties into our last episode. I thought that was so crazy that I, like, randomly found another textile designer. (laughs) After, I don't think we've talked about one at all. Yep. And then um, her fashion sketches are just, like, crazy cool and just beyond anything you'd ever think. And there's, like, photos of her with her textiles for her fashion line. And they're just so fun and cool. And anyway, okay, I'm actually going to dive into her life. She's, like, one of the coolest people. so excited. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so it's Sonia Delaunay. So she was actually born um, with the name Sarah Stern, which is kind of different and way easier to pronounce. But But also a lot less glamorous. Exactly. So fair. And she was most likely born on the 14th of November in 1885, so quite a while ago. And um, she was born in, I'm not going to be able to say the name of this, it's a part of the Russian Empire. Okay. And if you want to look up the name of the city, go right ahead, but there's too many K's and Z's in there for me to try and pronounce it properly. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) And at the time, I like looked up a little bit about the Russian Empire to kind of get a good feel for what was going on there. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm not going to be able to give you like a great state of the arts because this is very complicated time period. Oh, you're not going to give the whole history on the Russian Empire? I mean, five minutes. Probably not on this episode already. (laughs) If you want to go read a book, then please do. (laughs) But um, this is kind of a crazy time period for Russia. They had just gotten done with like a great northern war. And then they were dealing with some upcoming revolutions that were about to happen too. Yeah. And then um, some more wars and other things were like right in the horizon. Like they were all coming really soon. So it's kind of like a really tumultuous time in the world, um, which makes sense for like the late 1800s. (laughs) But most of Russia at that time was like a very provincial area. Um, Most people were in agriculture or farming. Um, It was kind of more of a poor situation in general and like quite a mix of different cultures and everything but there was like lots of stuff going on obviously like serfs were a huge thing so it was like russian peasants who were tied to the land and it was like they'd work the land in order to live there but then the aristocracies like kept it in control and then the government was kind of like a messed up situation but basically They were dealing with, like, all of the money was in the aristocrats, and then all of the people below were kind of poor. 
So like huge class system going on. I think they still had royalty at that point. Oh, they had yeah. an emperor. Obviously, like lots to come at the beginning of the 19th century that leads into World War One, And then shortly after that, the revolution of 1905. And then World War Two, And then <laughs> another um, revolution. And then a Russian civil war. And then they, in 1918... They execute the imperial family and the Soviet Union as established in 1922. So nice. that all happened during her lifetime. But that's kind of the world she was born into at the very beginning. So it's like right at the beginning of all of this tumultuous crap that's about to happen in her country. And mm-hmm. her father was really poor. He was the foreman of a nail factory. So I assume it probably wasn't like a very great life for the first couple of years. Um, and shortly into her life, at a very young age, she actually ended up moving to the city of St. Petersburg with her mother's brother, so her uncle, Henry Turk. Mm-hmm. And him and his wife were actually pretty well off. He was a lawyer, so obviously that pays a lot yes. better than the foreman of a nail factory. And they were actually doing really well. They were making quite a bit of money, and they wanted to adopt her. Her mother would not allow it, which I can't really blame her for. I don't think I'd want to, like give up my my kid kid be adopted yeah yeah but when she was five years old she actually was adopted by them so I don't know if like her family was just so poor off that they didn't like it was almost like necessity or if they just like finally were like you know whatever it's least it's family like there's not a whole lot about that situation I don't know if she had any siblings I don't know if she had any cousins like I don't know what the deal was (laughs) interesting yeah but she even assumed their name so her name switched to Sonia Turk um so I'm assuming Sonia was like their nickname for her because she was Sarah Stern Mm. and then it switched to Sonia Turk when she was adopted interesting Um, yeah. I mean, they just, like, renamed her? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's bold, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I right? wouldn't rename a dog if I adopted it. I don't know if I would rename... Definitely wouldn't rename a human yeah. if I adopted it. But So, it, kind oh of, like, gosh, a weird situation. And I don't... I couldn't find a lot about it because, obviously, it was a really long time ago in a yeah. completely different country that has changed rule, like, five times since... <laughs> probably not a lot of like detailed adoption records on file no probably not so I don't know if maybe it was a necessity I know a lot of the times now they make you like change the spelling or something if you adopt someone just so it's like a clear cut difference hmm interesting so maybe that's why or I don't know yeah um but luckily like her life was very privileged privileged with the Turks um they got to spend their summers in Finland they traveled widely in Europe yeah they introduced her to a ton of art museums and galleries. She had a great education. So she went to a school in St. Petersburg when she was 16. And, like, her drawing skills were noted by her teachers and, like, flourished. Um, she was 18, and her teacher was like, you should really go to this art school. So she went to an art school in Germany. Wow. And then studied there until 1905 and then ended up moving to Paris. So. Oh, cool her life probably would have been really different if she would have stayed with her parents i feel Um, like it's the saddest reality of it's just like the privilege of wealth you know yeah to be able to like you know do more Mm -hmm. than kind of like just survive and get by you know exactly like 
it allows like so many more opportunities. Like she wouldn't have been able to travel to all those art museums and galleries that would have like cultivated her or like go talents. to school in St. Petersburg with teachers that would encourage her to go to art school. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So completely different thing for her. And after she moved to Germany for school and then later moved to Paris, she actually never went back to Russia throughout the duration of her life. And a lot of it, I'm sure, had to do with everything that was happening in Europe. Like I said, I listed oh, off the, yeah. thing, the events that were about to happen, especially with World War I after Russia's involvement in that. I'm pretty sure she was like... I'm good. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go I'm back. Safe. There's yeah. a lot going on with revolts and rebellions as well. So I'm pretty sure she counted herself really lucky to kind of. I wonder if she had a out. relationship with her parents. I don't know. It never mentions like, them again. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I couldn't even find her like original father's name. Um, oh. So I don't know. Yeah. Like okay. I said, probably poor records, but also in large part, like she really embraced her uncle and aunt as her yeah. new mother and father. And, I mean, she was only five when she was adopted, so maybe... Yeah, I mean, it's really probably all she really remembers. I don't have a lot yeah. of memories from before I was five, so... I don't either. Like, my first memories are kind of preschool, barely, and kindergarten. Yeah. And some of it's, like, is it memories or have I just seen pictures? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, like, I doubt she really remembered a lot of that life. And yeah. if she didn't have a continuing relationship with them, it was probably really easy to just move on. Not talk to them, yeah. So... She got to move to Paris in 1905, and this enters into the early 19th century, which we've talked about a lot, so a little bit more Mm -hmm. familiar territory than the late 1800s. But she arrived in Paris and enrolled at the Académie de la Palette, which I'm assuming is just the Academy of Art, in um, Montparnasse. And I'm not French, so I said that wrong, I'm sure. However, she was really unhappy with the mode of teaching. She thought it was too critical. Which is art Mm. school. Yeah, I was going to say, like, (laughs) well, that's fair. (laughs) People would probably think that today as well. But, like, Paris was kind of the height of the art scene around that time. So they might have been even more. And I guess if it was, like, a really, like, prestigious school, it would probably be even harsher than anything she was used to. Exactly. So instead of spending time in class, she just toured galleries around Paris. Which... I Still mean, educational. Yeah, like if you're gonna not go to class, that's probably the best alternative. <laughs> yeah, like at least you're still learning about what you're there to study. <laughs> yeah. And during this time period, the most popular art movement was post-impressionism. Mm. So that would be like Van Gogh, Gauguin, Henry Rosset, and the Favs, Matisse, Durain, if you know any of those names. You probably know Van Gogh, at least. I mean, I definitely know Van Gogh. So. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of like her earliest art influences. And that was like a huge turning point for art, like moving to less traditional, less realistic artwork. Um, So it was kind of a cool thing for her to be able to witness firsthand. Like if I could go back in time and watch Van Gogh's paintings. Yeah. (laughs) Be able to be like, oh, yes. And the newest Van Gogh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, then. Well, then. That's a good um, time to be interested in being a painter. Yeah, and a great time to be in Paris, too. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I am sure it was wonderful, and I would probably spend more time in the galleries than school, too. Yeah, Um, fair. Don't blame her. A kind of a funny little thing she did is in 1908, she actually entered what they called a marriage of convenience. So Hmm. it was a German art dealer and a gallery owner, and his name was William Oud. UHD. 
Okay. Um, and this, by marrying him, she was allowed to access her dowry. And it was actually a cover for him because he was hiding up the fact that he was homosexual. Oh. Yeah. And this kind of allowed her to enter the art world through exhibitions at his gallery, um, get her money sooner, stay in Paris, and benefit a lot from his connections. So it was kind of like a... He was like, hey, I need a wife. And she was like, hey, hey I, I need, need to be married. Our connections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they were like, okay, let's just get married. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So it probably wasn't really that romantic, obviously, since he was gay. But it worked out really well for them. And it sounds like they had a really great friendship. Sounds and like, yeah. I'm like, I feel like that's the kind of marriage where it's like, you're just best, best mm-hmm. pals. <laughs> and it's actually funny because through this marriage, she actually ended up meeting her husband, like her final husband that her like her love husband yes not her <laughs> the one that she husband. fell in love with <laughs> yeah okay well that's good <laughs> so um the mother of robert delaney who whose name was comtesse de rose okay she was a regular visitor at um william's gallery and she would bring her son sometimes and mm. during one of those visits they met each other in early 1909 so like only a year into her other marriage and they were lovers in april of that year and it's only classified as lovers because she was still she married, was married. <laughs> yeah. but like <laughs> but anyway i wonder if her husband knew <laughs> yeah like if they I'm were good friends sure. <laughs> like i'm sure she was like oh by the way yeah i'm assuming right like yeah i, I feel like hey <laughs> like i don't like would there be even hard feelings I, I doubt it. Probably not. Hmm. Yeah. Because it said it was decided that she and um, William should divorce. Well, and so well, they did. Good for them. Yeah. They divorced in 1910. And then her and Robert got married in November. Well, so their divorce was finalized in August. And they got married okay. in November. And actually, she was pregnant at the time of their marriage. Um, so they probably would have gotten married sooner, but weren't for the divorce (laughs) having to go through. (laughs) But in 1911, in January, their son Charles was born and they actually received some money from her aunt in St. Petersburg. So her aunt and uncle were still back in Russia and they were really, really happy with her new child and everything that was going on. Yeah. And she loved him, um, a lot. She actually has a quote about him that I love. She says, in Robert Delaney, I found a poet, a poet who wrote not with words, but with colors. Oh, I really like that. Mm-hmm. And what he a actually nice sentiment of love. I know. And it's so sweet because he actually is an artist as well. So Aww. they kind of got to blend their work together. We could have completely included them in our art couples episode if I had known yeah. about her. As well as I thought about Annie Alpers and her husband could have also been included because they were were both both artists. Yeah. And they worked together as well. So we're always finding new ones and I really like it. But this is kind of where some controversy, in my opinion, begins. Because I think she's very uncredited for this when it should totally count. So in 1911, she made a patchwork quilt for Charles's crib. So her son is born. He needs a quilt. She decides she's going to make one. Um, she kind of used a bunch of different bits of fabric. And okay. she said she actually got the idea from the houses of Ukrainian peasants that she had seen. 
Okay. And so she mixed together like these different shapes and colors of fabric. And then um, it was like this whole arrangement of pieces of material. Uh-huh. And it was very similar to like cubism had kind of just entered the scene at this point. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, cubist paintings. I'm going to have to do like a little guide to different styles because so many happened throughout this that like it gets kind also, of confusing. Yeah, I would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So I will post that on our Instagram this week to go along with this episode and give everyone kind of like a rundown on these if you don't know, which is totally fine if you don't. Cubist kind of focused on think of a person and then cut them up into shapes and then just paint the shapes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what cubism did. I can't think of any of the artists right now, and I don't want to Google it. But if you look up, if you just type in cubism on Google, it'll give you some examples as well. So cubist work was very popular at that time. And uh, Sonia had said that it kind of reminded her of a lot of those cubist conceptions that were happening. And her and her husband were like, oh, like, I wonder if we applied the same idea of like these random geometric shapes to other objects and paintings and like kind of copied it okay so this started a whole new art style and this art style is called orphism and here's where i'm upset (laughs) if you google who started orphism who created it like who founded it they give the credit to her husband but technically the first piece that was ever created was that quilt Now, the problem is, and the reason why they did this, is they said, well, the quilt doesn't count because it wasn't considered a piece of art because it was But, like, obviously, if they were husband and wife, they were probably, like, talking about it, considering it, like, together. Like, Well, she was the one who made it. Like, she made the quilt. Then he was inspired by her quilt and did the first painting. Mm -hmm. But they don't consider the quilt a work of art. So they give the credit to her husband. Which connects to our last week's episode of Art versus Craft. Oh, now this is is why those conversations matter. Because Uh then situations like this where the woman isn't... Because it's not art. She created that blanket for her baby. It's not art. It's like, who cares? It was the first time it had ever been done that way. And her husband was so inspired by it that they founded this whole new art style together. So they both created pieces, but because he was the one who did the first painting of it, the credit goes to him technically. But I think if you think of it, like if he was inspired by her. Well, he wouldn't have never done it if she wouldn't have done that quilt that way. Exactly. So it's like, no, she was the one who saw inspiration in other people's homes and went, oh, let me do my quilt this way. And it's still, and it's hanging in a museum. So, I mean, the quilt is obviously a work of art now, even if they didn't consider it that then. I think they need to redo that whole Like, retroactively be like, oh, by the way, it's actually the both of them who started this movement of art. Yes. I'm like, fine, give it to both of them. And some of them do. And I'm happy for that. They'll say developed by Robert and Sonia. But if you look at the Google answer of who founded Orphism, it's Robert. Even just, I just Googled it and just like the... Britannica is that how you say that it pretty much says it's like other painters were working in this style included his wife and it's like no no it's not it's she helped develop the style not oh she also painted this way too it's like yeah probably because she's the one who first had the idea but who knows exactly so that just like drove me nuts I was like that is stupid because if she created the first piece that inspired the whole thing started it Regardless of the fact that it was a quilt, like, who cares? It doesn't matter. 
that yeah. was what started the whole thing. So wow, very dumb. <laughs> that is very dumb. Yeah, now I'm annoyed. I'm in a I know. Mood now. <laughs> but anyway, they would go on to obviously continue this, and this is when her work moved very far away from like perspective and naturalism, like very traditional art, and uh-huh. moved into more of this abstract cubism type but not quite so that's why it's called orphism um, work so cubist works like i said at the time were being shown in paris so her husband had been studying like color theories of um michael chevreau chevreau i don't know and they um called their experiments with color and art and design the french word for simultaneous which i'm not going to try to say but simultaneous design occurs when one design, when placed next to it, other affects both. So it's mm. like how, kind of like, you probably know this painting. It's by George Seurat. It's like the people on the park and it's all of the little dots. Mm, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's pointillism. And that's kind of the same idea where the primary color dots placed next to the other are mixed by your eyes and they affect each other. So your eyes kind of blend it together, even though they're all separate colors. Yeah, okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same idea as that, but like with larger scale works of art, if that okay. makes sense, rather than just little dots of paint. And so um, Sonia kind of took from her husband's studies that he was talking about and created the first large scale painting in the, in this style. In which the Orphism called, style? Yeah, or that she had done. Okay. Yeah, so using that color theory and like her orphism together it was the first one that she did it's called ball bullier Mm. and if you want to type it in it's actually really cool sorry podcast listeners you're gonna want to type it in too so it's b-a-l-b-u-l-l-i-e-r and what's cool about it is that your eyes blend it all together but if you look at the up close the colors aren't as blended as your eyes make them which is super weird and it's mm-hmm. huge. It looks like it's a really big work of art. So that was like her first one with like this color theory and this orphism together. It's very beautiful. Yeah, it's really cool. The colors are so vibrant and the shapes are like really cool. They kind of look like people. Like yeah, you it said. like it makes me like think of like people like twirling or yeah. people dancing. It looks like dancing. Because of how the colors kind of like work with each other and the shapes. It's really, really cool. So that was like her first very large work of art kind of moving further into the style that she developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at this time, that's when the Delaney's friend, the poet and art cri- criti- critic that I tried to say his name, Guilamine Gwil- Apollinaire. <laughs> I don't <know>. Perfect, yes. <laughs> he coined the term orphism to describe their version of cubism in 1913. So he was cool. like, oh, you should call it this. And I think Orphism is actually like an ancient Greek religion. So I don't know exactly why he was inspired to create that name. If you want to look more into it, there's plenty of art pages, like the art story, everything else that we'll talk about. The like different, where that comes from? Yeah, reasons yeah. and everything. Apparently it was from the Greek god Orpheus. So That makes, okay, yeah. yeah. And like the movement of the works and how he was the Greek god. Anyway, so look into that. Through her, that friend who coined that term, in 1912, Sonia actually met a poet named Blaise Sendrers, who became her friend and collaborator. And she said in an interview that the discovery of his work gave her a push, kind of like shocked her up. And mm. she actually went on to illustrate one of his poems. 
um, which is the prose of Trans-Siberian and Little Johanna France. And it's about this journey on the Trans-Siberian Railway. And she created this long accordion pleated book based on this poem that he wrote. And I want to make sure I know how long it is. Pretty sure it's two meters. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Two meters is six and a half feet. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really long for a book. Maybe three feet. No, (laughs) six and a half. As tall as a tall person. Yeah, that's quite a very big book. So that was like her huge thing. And it was 22 panel illustrated poem. So there's text on the right side and then watercolor on the left. And the watercolors are really abstract. It actually looks a lot like that other work of art I showed you. Um, kind of like swirls of color, like sort of blended, but like not at the same time. It's very cool. And she uses like cool pastel, pastel tones and then like very, very bright colors as well. And then she spills the paint over onto the right side in between where the text falls. Mm -hmm. So it like blends all in. It's really, really cool. And they actually printed it on a single sheet of paper and then folded it accordion. So they actually were planning to run 150 copies, which they said if they would have laid it end to end, it would have been the same height as the Eiffel Tower, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. However, they actually only ended up printing 60 editions, probably because of how big these were. And one of the hard parts about it is because of its large scale, it only functioned as like a readable book when it was fully opened. So imagine like having to like fold out this entire six and a half foot long thing in order to (laughs) read it. Every time you want to read a poetry book. Yeah. So obviously (laughs) they said it worked a lot better as like a hanging wall piece. So if you were to like hang it on your wall, then you could like read it and enjoy it. it. It was a work of art. Oh, yeah. But like, but also a, a book. She seems very creative and like resourceful, just like even in the way that she's like, oh, I'm going to make my baby's quilt in this like style that, you know, I found an entire art. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it starts an entire art movement or this being like, I'm really inspired by this poetry. I'm going to make and not just like I'm going to do the artwork for a book. It's going to be a six and a half foot long accordion style book that you could also display because of how beautiful it is. Like, exactly. And they actually did. It was, like, so good. It created a stir amongst the Paris critics. Mm. And they ended up showing the book at the Autumn Salon in Berlin in 1913, along with a lot of other artworks and everything. So just, like, this whole thing. And funnily enough, the artist Paul Klee, who's very famous, I've heard his name quite often throughout (laughs) my life, um, he's like a Swiss-born German artist who okay. did a lot of cubism, I believe. So he was okay. a big deal probably even at that time. Yeah. And um, he was so impressed with the use of squares in her binding on the poem that he ended up featuring them in his work from then on out. Wow. Which, like, because I was thinking, like, the intricacies of, like, knowing how to lay out something like that perfectly so that it could fold up and, like... You know what I mean? And work. But then also when you lay it out, it's still a work of art. Like that sounds like a layout nightmare. (laughs) And the reproduction of it sounds like a nightmare. Like the fact that they even have 60 copies like blows. And like printing it. How do you do it? (laughs) I I don't know. It doesn't make sense. If I went to a printer now and was like, I need a six and a half like accordion book. 
like they would six be like, and a half foot. What? <laughs> they would literally think I was crazy because they'd have to order in specialty paper. They don't make paper six and a half feet long normally. Like, yeah, that's that's insane. <laughs> so I don't even know how they did this. <laughs> But yeah, kind of crazy, but very cool that it ended up inspiring such a famous artist that he mm-hmm. ended up adopting that into his own thing. And kind of sad that she's also not more well known after all Considering of this. like she's literally the reason for movements and has an inspired amazing artists yes. that are more famous. Ugh. Like crazy. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Instagram for you page is a fun thing to check out every once in a while. I guess it's not called for you. That's TikTok. Anyway, it just suggested this person and her feed is so cute. I am dying. It's like the most aesthetic thing I've ever seen. So her name is Danielle Chandler. Mm-hmm. And she's a designer. So she does illustration and branding as well. And her whole like feed is just like orange and pink and yellow oh i love that yep okay that's and it's quite so cute. beautiful and even her colors match which i'm always floored when people manage to do that because there's no way i could ever take photos in our brand colors all the time i know it's so impressive when people it's do like that. the cutest little illustrations and lettering and then colors and uh, it's just so fun to look through she did a bunch of ones in may for star wars but it's like oh, a pink cute. R2-D2 and then like a gold and pink C-3PO, which I am here for. Um, I also should note that in high school, um, I had a ring that said R2-D2 and Stani had a ring that said C-3PO. So yep. I still have mine somewhere. I, I should have mine too somewhere too. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Just so much fun. And I love when people like dedicate themselves to like bright colors all the time and it just shows mm-hmm. everywhere. It's just so fun. And it's, like, so fun to follow feeds like that, too. Exactly. Yeah, because then it's, like, you'll just see, like, a pop of, like, really bright color every once in a while. And makes life more fun for everyone. So, yeah, go check her out. Be sure to follow her page. It's Danielle Chandler, and she's a designer on Instagram. Okay, so today I'm actually going to shout out two followers of ours. Woohoo! Because I love it when you guys follow us because I just go through and I'm, like, this is amazing. I don't like, and I don't want to say that like, because you haven't been shouted out, I am so sorry. Like there's, Mm -hmm. I could literally shout out every single follower we have because you're all such beautiful artists. And I want to acknowledge that anyways though, but these are two people who followed us yesterday. Okay, cool. So the very first one is mouse and quill right and that's yeah that's their instagram handle their name is erica fun fact last week or two weeks ago we shouted out her sister Mm -hmm. in our oh yeah last week in the last episode so that's how we found her um she creates earrings she is a handmade inspired jewelry is what she creates um and they are adorable i love them yeah they're literally so cute like these little crescent moons but that like have like the indentation of the moon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That I love. They're all so unique. And yeah, I'm obsessed with them. The so, little leaves. Yeah. I love them. so cute. Like little palm leaf earrings. So yeah. adorable. They're very adorable. So if you're needing a cute new pair of earrings, go check her out. That's Mouse and Quill. Second one is Sunfish underscore Press. 
Um, she creates stickers and croc charms and she makes Taylor Swift ones and like Olivia Rodrigo ones and just like pop culture ones which is like I don't have a pair of crocs but like I can very much appreciate the need for a Taylor Swift croc charm yeah (laughs) I love the little like concert tickets stickers though too i know oh yes i'm obsessed with those i like want to get some for my laptop yeah like what a fun way to like show artists that you love in like a completely Mm -hmm. different way like that is so fun and that's what i like i like stalked her on instagram and like she does hoodies and like merch for like taylor swift and like other fandoms but it's like kind of like how i I think i mentioned it last time with someone we shouted out Mm -hmm. that it's like it's ways to support the artist that's not like obvious merch with like their face on it you know yeah it's like but other people who are taylor swift fans will read it like for example it's always an augustine never the betty i was just looking at that one everyone who's a taylor swift fan and like listen to folklore knows what that is you know but like you don't get the joke pretty much unless you're a taylor swift fan so i love that so Go check her out. Again, that's sunfish underscore press. And then I'm just going to shout this one out really quick because I literally just discovered it and I'm obsessed with it. It's O dot A-L-I-N-A-R-E. O. Alinar. Alinar, yeah. Anyway, she does handmade brooches with sparkly beads. And there's this cute little cactus brooch. Brooch? That's how you say it, right? I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, like, also incorporated with, like, embroidery I see on her account and just, like, or, like, this little tulip The butterflies? I'm sorry. I am obsessed with these. So I had to shout them all out because I just saw all of these accounts yesterday and I love all of them. So go check all of these out. These are so cool. I know. I, like, the tulip brooch is my favorite. Oh, the little moon one is so cute, too so cool yeah Man. so i love how many fun people we find people i know just from following us so thank you anyways so go check out all of these amazing artists couldn't narrow it down today because they're incredible hey that's okay no problem there all right now back to the show so obviously with the success and everything they had going on both of them ended up traveling to spain in 1914 to stay with some friends in madrid and luckily, that kind of worked out very well, like a very serendipitous thing, because the wor- the First World War broke out in 1914, and they were out of it. Um, because oh, wow. they weren't in France, they weren't involved in it as much, and so they decided to stay in Madrid and kind of wait out the war a little bit. That's fair. Um, so in August 1915, they actually ended up moving to Portugal and sharing okay. a home with Samuel Halpert and Eduardo Vienna. And they had discussed like an artistic partnership with Eduardo and some other friends that they had met. And I think they just ended up all creating art together for a while. That's um, nice. In Portugal, she painted a painting called Market in Minho in 1916 that was inspired by the beauty of the country. And during this time, she also had a solo exhibition in Stockholm, which is a really big deal for a female. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) The Russian Revolution, obviously (laughs) happening back at home, brought an end to the financial support that she was receiving from her family in Russia. So I'm assuming throughout all of this, Mm -hmm. her aunt and uncle had been sending her money still. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. With the Russian Revolution, things changed a lot. And so they needed a more prominent source of income which makes sense for a family of two artists so this kind of enters her fashion design okay cool. yeah I'm which, excited. 
did she need a whole other line of expertise? Probably not, but she did it. But she did it. <laughs> yeah. So she met Sergei Diagliev. I'm saying that wrong once again, in Madrid, and designed costumes for his production of Cleopatra. Oh, and her cool. husband actually did the stage design, which is really cool. And then they also did another play for a performance of Ada in Barcelona. And then she ended up decorating a nightclub. So I guess she also did interior design and decoration for a while, too, wow. called Petite Casino. And then sold some of her designs for interior decoration and fashion with a branch in Balboa and kind of was the center of this whole Spain scene of art, which is crazy. Um, So she really liked her fashion discovery that she was doing at that time. I'll have to post some of the clothes that she did and some of her sketches. They're really cool. Um, The original blog that I found, they actually said that in the museum in Toronto, they have like a whole wall dedicated to a lot of her fashion sketches. Wow. And I can understand why after seeing a couple of them. That's really cool. <laughs> so they're not what you expect, obviously, because they still have a lot of that orphism. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Which I think is cool that it shows that she was viewing fashion as like as an art form. You know what yes. I mean? If uh-huh. it was like all the same, like if it was painting or quilting or I, you know, I feel like that shows like the mark of a true artist. If it's like no matter what you're doing, it's infused with exactly. that. You know? Yeah. She like moves it into the next thing that she does. Which yeah. Is and really it doesn't cool. matter what she's doing. It's still her. And you can yeah. like, see that. Exactly. Cool. So, yeah, in 1920. So kind of everything had calmed down with the war. And she actually traveled to Paris twice looking for opportunities to expound like her fashion business. And she actually wrote a letter to Paul Perret saying, like, hey, I would love to expand my business and include some of your designs. And he declined. And he actually accused her of copying designs from, like, one of his lines, which is weird. And um, he also was mad because she, in his terms, had married a French deserter. Apparently, some people were very unhappy that her husband left before the war, so he wasn't involved in it. Oh, Um, so it's like he wasn't, like, loyal to France because he left it. Yeah, when they were handling World War I. So they considered him, like, a a traitor to the country. Interesting. Um, Which obviously wasn't official because he left before the war even started, but he didn't come back. You know, I'm not going to come back. A gallery in Berlin, though, uh, ended up showing works by Sonia and Robert from their Portuguese period during that same year. So art was kind of picking up again, and it worked out. Um, They ended up returning to Paris permanently in 1921, and they ended up kind of solving all of their financial problems by selling this work of art by Henri Rousseau. So I'm assuming they had collected it. It's a painting called The Snake Charmer. And they sold it to Jacques Dosset and ended up making enough money that, like, they weren't in such... Like, financial distress. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, nice. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I guess that's a benefit to collecting famous people's art. And then Sonia actually ended up making clothes for private clients and friends and created 50 fabric designs using geometrical shapes and bold colors um, that were commissioned by a manufacturer in Lyon and then ended up starting her own business shortly after that as well so it worked out for them they weren't in problem they weren't having problems anymore 
And then in 1921, the play La Cura Gaz, she ended up designing the set and costumes again. Wow. And in 1924, opened a fashion studio together with Jacques Hem and had a couple of different customers. And they're probably famous, but I don't know them. So it's Nancy Kennard, Gloria Swanson, Lucienne Bogart, and Gabrielle Dorziet. So she was yeah. like a very big deal. Mm-hmm. Like in fashion and in painting. Like she had exhibitions and like clients and like all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that's While insane. she was alive. And it's like to be so prolific in so many different things is crazy. Just crazy that like we don't know anything about her unless you like yeah. randomly find her on Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, for real. And like what? and then you have to be searching out like women artists. You don't just find her accidentally. And like she literally started a movement. I know, even though they don't credit it to her. So annoying. Anyway, during this time, it worked out really well for her. She went on to design even more costumes for two films. Um, oh, she did cool. some furniture, which cool for a set of the movie Because I Love You. Okay. And then during this period, she also did some hot couture textiles for Robert Perrier and also like participated actively in the art scene around the area as well. So, great mm. time period for her. However, yeah, she's killing it. shortly after followed the Great Depression, obviously. Oh, so, yes. she ended up closing her business due to a decline. I guess not that many people during the Great Depression were interested in hot couture. Um, <laughs> can't really blame them. <laughs> and she did a couple of private clients as well, but for the most part, ended up returning to painting. And she actually considered a blessing, saying that the Depression liberated her from her business. So I think, like, she was ready to kind of settle down and have more of, like, an easy artistic exploration that painting allows, whereas fashion design has to be a little bit more fast-paced. So by the end of 1934, her and her husband were working together on decorating two pavilions, and she didn't want to be a part of the contract for the commission, but just wanted to help her husband with, like, the art project. Hmm. So I thought that was really cool. She was like, no, like, I just want to help you out. Um, yeah. And even saying, like, I am free and mean to remain so. So just kind of wanted to have her own independent thing going on and not really be tied up in anything specific, which is huh. very cool. So these murals and painted panels were completed by 50 different artists, including her husband and a bunch of other people as well. Um, sadly, in October of 1941, Robert Delaney passed away leaving Sonia alone. However, her and her son continued to be members of the art world, actually donating 114 works by her and her husband to the National Art Museum, uh, Modern Art Museum in 1964, which is cool that you reach the level of fame that you donate your own artwork. Um, yeah, for real. <laughs> and at this time, she was the only living painter to have been shown at the Louvre, along with Brock, wow, another artist. So her and this other person had been the only two living artists to ever been shown there. And even I know it's a very big deal. Oh, yeah. The Louvre? That's crazy. And she was actually the first living female to have a retrospective exhibition at the Louvre. So, wow. yeah, she was the only female that had been alive that had ever been displayed there while she was 
So very, very big deal. And I think that shows like the level of influence she was at. And like fame. Yeah. When like, I don't know, it just bothers me. Like, why don't we know more about her then? I mean, not that I'm like the one taking all the art history classes, but you are. Uh, Yeah, I know. I remember studying cubism. I don't remember learning about, if we did learn about orphism, guarantee it was just her husband mentioned as a footnote before it moved on. Yeah. Because it inspired another art movement, but they were kind of the primary artists of the movement. So it makes sense that like there weren't a ton of people brought up for it. Yeah, definitely. But it's still very odd that like he's credited so heavily when honestly the credit should go to her for beginning it. For real. Um, So she did a bunch of other kind of like independent art projects, a lot of stuff with like poetry as well. Um, in 1974, she was actually named an officer of the French Legion of Honor. Wow. Yeah. A huge honor. That sounds and like a And then in 1975, she did a range of textiles, tableware, and jewelry for a French company called Art Curiel. And it was inspired by a lot of her early work from the 1920s. And her autobiography was also published before her death, which wow. also cool. It's called We Shall Go Up to the Sun, but in French. But I'm sure if you type in We Shall Go Up to the Sun with her name, it will come up, hopefully. (laughs) And then uh, one of her last things that she did is they had an exhibition of artist-decorated cars. So it was five cars personalized by five contemporary artists. Oh, cool. And they had her paint on a car, which is cool. And she did the same, like, optical effects of patterns and colors on top of this car and um, was a part of that exhibition as well. And then she ended up passing away in December 1979 in Paris. She was age 94, slept quite a long time, and was buried next to her husband. And then her son actually went on to be an expert in jazz music. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah, it was like a huge part of the jazz music scene, like hosting concert, concerts and being a, um, a founder of the first jazz club in France wow. and starting a magazine. So they had this little like artistic child that continued and, like, on. <laughs> yeah, like what an artistic family. <laughs> I know, but kind of cool that he went into like music and all of that as well. Yeah, that is Sonia Delaney. And I am I'm floored. I know. Like I said, I think it's so cool that it's like no matter what she did, that it was art. You know what I mean? Like I said it earlier and I'm going to say it again. Just like yeah. I feel like the mark of a true artist is just that like no matter what you're doing, you're just kind of in, you're doing everything in your life with creativity. And I think that means that it's like we don't have to stay in our one lane. And I think as artists, too, it's really easy to be like, this is what I'm good at. And so this is what I this is what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it's like, no, like if you're an artist, why can't you also be, you know, why can't you be different kinds of arts? Like, why do we have to focus ourselves into one medium so much? And like, maybe how are we limiting ourselves by not being like, maybe I can try this and maybe I can try this and maybe I could try this. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And I kind of like how she let it kind of come and go in flows throughout her life where she was like, oh, right yeah. now I really want to focus on fashion. And that's and okay. like, oh, like I'm kind of done with fashion. Now I really want to focus on just like my own independent art projects, like whatever that may be. Like yeah. it's okay to kind of let yourself have like different seasons for different activities and if something mm-hmm. really takes off and interests you more then like move into it's that okay. yeah I think sometimes I get like so like I can't move on to a new thing because I focus so much time and energy into this old thing and if I 
do something else, then that's like wasted time, right? Mm -hmm. Into it. It's like when I went to school, I really focused on classical music and classical singing for a year and a half. And then I ended up deciding to like not focus on that and just do the pop stuff. And sometimes it'd be easy to be like, oh, I wasted that time, you know? Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's like, no, like everything that you're doing that's like art and creativity is like going to benefit you later on in like ways that you don't even see or realize oh yeah that's one of the reasons actually why I think I'm such a huge advocate for college because it's like yeah yeah, does it kind of delay you like starting your career oh totally like there's no Mm -hmm. way that you could have like a thriving independent business and go to college full-time if you can then that's awesome but like the likelihood of that is probably pretty low it's a lot harder to yeah (laughs) full-time however (laughs) like you're able to like absorb so much that, mm-hmm. like, allows you to kind of set your life into a direction that maybe, like, it wouldn't be otherwise. Like, for example, I would not have, like, thought of this podcast or asked you about it if yeah. I hadn't been in art history classes in college. It never would and have crossed it, my like, mind. It, like, forces you to explore different mediums that you wouldn't have before. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool when that, it's... like, there's different parts of our lives that we can, like, focus on different things and how it influences the end result. Yeah. I think with the way social media is nowadays, it's like you have to pick a brand or you have to pick Mm -hmm. a niche, you know, and like stick to it when it's like, that's not how humans are, you know, No, like I am not a brand. (laughs) Like I get to be complicated and like a lot of different things and sometimes be in the mood to do this and sometimes be in the mood to do that. Like we don't have to be defined by singular interests. Yeah. And I think with the way people try and grow on social media and promote themselves on social media and of course like there's nothing wrong with wanting to gain a following on in, on like instagram or tiktok or whatever but the truth is is that's an easy way to gain a following is like through a niche and yeah. i think it's supposed to, it's good to remember just like you know what, it's okay like you get to do just do whatever you want it's, if you're yeah. being creative just be creative i think a lot of the times people forget that even brands evolve over time yeah <laughs> if you look at the beginning of coca-cola not only did they have cocaine in their drink but true they also like their logo was completely different if you yeah. were to look and like realize how many times they've actually changed it or Apple, or like literally any business that's still any going. Any businesses constantly. And that's how like they changing. survive is because they mm-hmm. constantly change. Yeah. And it's like, that's people too. Like we're constantly changing. And yeah, does it mean that you might not change completely? Like you're probably going to look similar to how you did before. Or yeah. it could be like a completely different thing. Like it's okay to just like let yourself evolve because everything does. Like nothing really stays the same (laughs) true what an inspiring woman i know i'm like so floored that she exists (laughs) which sounds so silly but it's like i don't remember ever hearing about this person and i feel like i would have remembered if we would have brought up a female that started an art movement so and i'll link the original blog post that i found in the episode notes it was a wonderful read And there's like tons of cool photos that she shows, which obviously I'll be trying to show as many of them on the Instagram as I can um, throughout the week. Oh, I forgot. (laughs) Hold on. Yeah. Little footnote to this. Okay, Um, I'm excited. Gosh, I can't believe this was like the whole entire, the whole tie into the Bajas. Um, Oh, yeah. So a lot of her 
textile work was obviously extremely revolutionary because like no one had been doing such loud patterns and different stuff on fashion before. Mm -hmm. And because of how well her commercial work with textiles and fashion was doing, it probably like very highly inspired the women of the Bajas in their weaving and everything else because she was kind of the first female doing a lot of like that costume design and everything else that ended up influencing like the Baja school at that time because she like predated them. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Yes. So at the end of the blog post, she talks a little bit about that where she's like, hello history. Like Sonia Delaney did it first. And that's like the truth. So the reason that like a lot of textile design and everything evolved that a way that it did in the Bajas and the whole Bajas style Mm-hmm. actually looks extremely similar to a lot of Delaney's later work and her fashion design. So if you want that fun little tie-in, the yeah, reason the cool. Bajas went the way that it did with their textile design, which is like revolutionary, is probably all because of Sonia Delaney. Wow. That's that's really cool. Yeah. So sorry, I forgot that part. But that's like one of the coolest thing is that her work came before them. But, like, it's probably because of her that their work exists. What a cool little tie-in to our last episode. There we go. Didn't even do it on purpose. I know. When I read it, I was like, how did I randomly find this person when it ties in so perfectly to everything we, we just talked about? Talked about. Like, like everything. so That's random. So, uh, so cool. Anyway, can't believe I forgot that. But, yeah, um, look up Sonia Delaney and learn more about her for sure. And be sure to look at some of her paintings and stuff. I will post and check out our previous episode on Weaving Women if you haven't as well. Yeah. It ties in really well to this. It does. Yeah. If you've been enjoying the podcast, definitely share with others that you think would enjoy it so we can keep on doing this. Mm-hmm. Leave a review. That also really helps us. And we'd mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Definitely. Thank you, everyone. And we'll be back with another episode next week. And we're happy to have you everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, 
the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.